Lauren Nablossi is a writer and editor who lives in Bridgewood, Queens. She's a former editor in TV News and current editor at Pace Magazine and has had bylines of Vulture and NPR Music. She also plays bass in the self-proclaimed pastel post-punk band Patio. Pastel post-punk band Patio. That's quite a mouthful. We should have you play music here sometime. Everyone, please give it up for Lauren Nablossi. My piece is not about a festival. Um, I did not go to Governor's Ball, but I went to Coachella. Arguably worse. Truly a lot worse. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I saw her on a TV screen. Um, but I was on the Metro North train the weekend of Governor's Ball and saw, like, all the teens from Westchester with, like, the backpacks with the string and the pouches and gym shorts, um, like, all going and drinking and uh, they burst into song and did Sweet Caroline uh, before they got to the Harlem stop and I was just like wow <laughs> I'm too old for this shit not that I ever did that when I was young but uh, the piece I'm gonna read is an NPR music piece um, when I was between jobs kind of questioning whether I even wanted to write about music anymore uh, I kind of came up with this idea for the Turning the Tables project, and it kind of brought me back to when I first truly loved music and was going to like four or five shows a night and couldn't get enough and really was kind of developing who I was as a person um, and a writer, and then eventually a musician, which I never really saw coming. So, uh, so I'll just read it. It is called, sorry. A Room of One's Own, How Households' Items Confronts the Limits of Domesticity. In life and in art, women are often confined to interior spaces. Containment, both figurative and literal, has been explored in literature, film, and the visual arts by female artists from Virginia Woolf and Kate Chopin to Cindy Sherman and Kara Walker. In Chantelle Ackerman's 1975 art house classic, Jean Dillman, and then there's a really long French address that I don't know how to pronounce. Jean Dillman, 23 Quai des Commerces, Bruxelles. 1080, Bruxelles. The film's protagonist leads a strictly regimented life within the confines of her meticulous apartment. I wanted a life of my own, she tells her son, explaining why she ultimately decided to marry. Later, the orderly space becomes the setting for something far more sinister. In an email exchange about her former band, Household, Talia Cooper referred to Jean Delmont as a masterpiece. It does exactly what I was trying to do in household, she explained. Express the monotony of a daily routine with an undercurrent of bubbling righteous anger. Household released its debut record, Items, in 2011, the same year I graduated college and began integrating myself into Brooklyn's DIY music scene. It was also around the time the press started to declare that rock music, particularly in New York, was in desperate need of saving. Each night, as artful noise surrounded me in various spaces across Bushwick and Williamsburg, I came home to read that guitar music was dead. 
Soon, the burden of revival was placed squarely on the shoulders of several popular all-male bands. All the while, Talia Cooper was holed away, making something incredible in a room all her own. I wrote most of the record in a friend's practice space after a breakup, huddled with my own self-pity and my guitar and some tecates, she revealed to me. I was in my mid-twenties and lived in the haze of a very bad depression that I hadn't yet learned how to treat. Items express something between a shrug and a seething, a way to talk about how frustrated I felt in as few words as possible. To complete household, Cooper enlisted a former coworker, drummer Jenna Weiss-Berman and later bassist Isabel Freeman, who helped reshape what she'd written into neatly formed, actually structured songs. Those neat structures compose items, an extremely punk 18 minutes of sharp, precise minimalism. When I first heard it, its simplicity struck me in a way that few records had. I've loved the clean lines of post-punk since I was a teenager, but its clarity and candor felt singularly authentic. Most importantly, though, Items is a record made by women for women. Across nine fleeting tracks, Cooper spins a distinctly feminine tale of disappointment and disillusionment, framed elegantly against the monotonous backdrop of domestic life. Like any great punk record, Items was born out of heartbreak, but above all, it's an impossibly smart assessment of time, space, and the gender roles that define us. A dark fairy tale of sorts, Items commences inside an immediately chaotic interior. You keep your door shut tight so no one finds out where you hide, Cooper mocks on opener go away. A track later on the shuffling Never After, she laments the setting of a house on a hillside until ultimately declaring, I'll save you, you won't save me, this is how it's going to be. When the scene shifts to wave goodbye, things spiral even further downward, opening with a trim, prickly guitar riff. Weiss-Berman's methodical drumbeat builds a vortex of confusion against which Cooper describes a tedious routine of watering plants and preparing a meal of things that have died. In picking apart the minute details of everyday life, Items illuminates the points at which the personal and political aspects of femininity intersect. The topics of power and authority are debated on Never After, while the moody, desperate times finds Cooper protesting that her heart does not cost what you think you should pay. In addition to cold, distant imagery, the songs utilize plenty of symbolism, the feminine sun and masculine moon in phases, and inject welcome doses of humor, the cheeky repetition of why baby, to emphasize their intention. In our exchange, Cooper underlined the importance of items having almost no distortion, ornamentation, or effects, which its sleek cover art, lifted by Freeman from a vintage design magazine, reflects. Items reaches an epic climax on Cold Hands, the only track on the record to surpass three minutes. It begins calmly, but carefully grows more menacing. I thought when you left me, you'd have something more to say, Cooper mourns, her delicate voice remaining steady. Slowly, Freeman's warm cradling bass line intensifies until all instruments accelerate and Weiss Berman shrieks, you've got the coldest hands anyway. In true household fashion, Cold Hands is slick and well-measured, but hints towards utter chaos. It represents the invasion of space, both a home and a body, that incurs inside a private relationship, and the feelings of betrayal that remain when it ends. At the time, these sounds and images burrowed themselves deep inside me, and crept up again later when I experienced my own heartbreak and eventually started my own band out of righteous anger. Household released one more record, Elaine's, in 2013, then disbanded in 2014 when Freeman moved to London. 
Just before their breakup, the band opened for Parquet Courts in the now-defunct Bushwick Sweat Lodge, The Atron. It was the first time I saw a household live. These were the first musicians I'd seen that played in a style I could relate to and wanted to emulate, and they were doing it right in front of me. Unlike many other Brooklyn bands who eventually attracted large audiences online, Household never strayed far from its small community of fellow women, or as Cooper phrased it, this corner of punk lady tumbler that probably doesn't exist anymore. At the time, it was all these women in their late teens and early 20s reblogging each other's bands and tracks by Malaria and Look Blue Go Purple, she recalled. Of course there was drama, but there was also space to support and elevate each other's work and complain about when men fool around with your amp settings while you're playing. As their male counterparts gained national attention and landed magazine covers, Household, along with fellow other female-led bands like Amanda X and I, Nako, kept camaraderie with a small, queer underground scene that embraced, supported, and encouraged them. Theirs was the same scene that made me feel like if I could do it, then perhaps, that if they could do it, then perhaps I could do it too. I was at the band's final show at Baby's All Right that spring, just about a month before I picked up a bass for the first time. Now, several years after rock music was supposed to have died, a new generation of women musicians, many of whom first cut their teeth in the same scene as household, are finally getting the praise they deserve, and then some. As happens every so often, music journalists are writing with surprise about a purported flood of talented new women musicians. But Cooper, who's since worked on various music projects, including the hardcore band In School, isn't buying it. Obviously, I support this new generation of young women making music and building community, she told me. But I have no interest in a hackneyed narrative that describes women making guitar music as new or novel, and I certainly don't make my own music for anyone that thinks that's the case. Women have always made the best rock music in small part because we so often do it for each other in our own spaces and tell our own stories about it, Cooper said, highlighting the real reason any woman begins making art in the first place, to create a life of her own. Thank you. guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!